Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. mysteriously from a clear sky. Why do some people have dramatic paranormal experiences and others never seem to have any? Is there some mysterious force controlling our lives? Uh, well, uh, Mark, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, take it away. Alright, hello and welcome to the 546th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benino. I'm Mark D'Antonio sitting in for Ben this evening and those questions you heard come from Ben's dad and co-host, the famous Paul Eno. <laughs> we bring you an open line show this evening, and we plan to discuss a lot of paranormal subjects. We do welcome calls during the show. The numbers are 401-766-1240 locally, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, you can call 800-449-1240. Okay, let me welcome my pleasant and capable co-host this evening. Uh, Mark is an astronomer and Mutual UFO Network's National Director of Photo and Video Analysis. He's a frequent guest on the show and has become a good friend. Uh, we've even brought Mark in on a few of our, our own investigations lately, and his intelligence and feet-on-the-ground approach, both rare and extremely helpful. So let's, uh, let's get right to it. We have actually a, a question right now from uh, Country Bob. And uh, we'll put him through. Country Bob, Bob. Are yeah, you how with are you with us? How are you doing? Uh, welcome to the show. What, uh, what's going on? Well, last night, my wife and I were sitting on the porch. It was when I was listening to a ball game, and my wife said, Bob, because uh, there's bright lights up there. So I'm legally blind, so I can't see everything clearly. But it was a full, not a full moon, I would say about maybe three, quarter poles. I could see that. And these lights, it started off as one, and then it went to three, and then it was going like left from right from my porch. And then it went on for about an hour. And then one, and then two, then three, and it was all different time they were going up uh, going across like left to right and okay. i wonder if you got any calls and because i called the police department and said they tried to give me some scooters like well it could have been a laser or something like that i said ladies lasers are not that big mm. this thing was bright yellow like like i saw a couple of years ago the same color yellow because i'm still haven't found that photo that uh, karen took for me okay did you take any pictures of this one bob i couldn't get a camera fast enough okay because, like I said, I'm blind. I don't have a, a phone or anything. I mean, a cell phone that takes those type of pictures. That's the old-fashioned cell phone. Okay. Yeah, funny. Uh, huh. All day, we were we were out of town and kind of cut off from the world on a special project. Um, uh, Route 146, you said? Yeah, going up, like, toward San Antoine. Okay, that, that's up where we live. Yeah. Yeah. It and that's up. just kind of a little bit northwest of the station here, uh, Mark. So, Mark, uh, what questions would you ask Bob about, uh, about uh, this? Yeah. You know, it's funny, Bob. I have a question for you about that. Now, tell me, were these uh, lights like little points of light in the sky moving, or were they beams of light? What did you actually see? Uh, I didn't understand the question, Ben. Oh, I, I, I said, um, were these points of light in the sky moving across the sky, like little star-like objects moving across the sky, or were they 
beams of light that you saw going across there's, the sky. There's no beams of light. They were just like yellow lights going from left to right. Okay. About, uh, when I first saw it, it was about three of them. Come away, Karen. And it went as high as five. Okay, and then after a while, did they fade away? Did you watch them until they went away? They went from left to right, and it, like, faded away. And it, and, and the funny thing is, they almost came, became stationary. Yeah. You know what I mean? In other words, it didn't go rapidly from left to right. It just, like, floating across the sky, did it stop. Did it go and, again? And, and when you said they went left to right, did they go a huge distance across the sky, or did they seem to kind of float lazily along in the sky? They float lazily along. Okay. I'll tell you what I think uh, you probably saw, uh, and again, I'm not saying you didn't see an actual unidentified flying object, uh, but I can tell you that what you saw does fit a profile that we see very often, and that is you probably saw or likely saw Chinese lanterns because these are small, basically paper hot air balloons, essentially, that you can light up. You, you light them with a lighter, and they light a little flammable uh, pack that's underneath this open envelope of paper, usually. Right. And it glows bright yellowish-orange. Um, did they appear to flicker at all? No. No. Okay. It didn't flicker right. at all. It, it, like you said, it just it, like, it go from left to right, then it stopped, and then it disappeared. Okay. And... And you said it was about how long in the sky? It was, it was uh, well, each one was about maybe five minutes, ten minutes. Okay, that makes that makes uh, sense. That's con that's very consistent with Chinese lanterns. Um, now, because you initially said that you kept seeing them for about an hour, which means that more were appearing and then some were disappearing, kind of a thing. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. That it yeah. sounds like a Chinese lantern thing here, Paul. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, the other thing, but here's what puzzled me. But the very end, the last one we saw was way over toward, uh, like, North Midfield. Okay, okay. Yeah, just to the west of us. And, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you this, Bob. I'll, I'll give you the same advice uh, my first editor gave to me when I became a reporter. Always have your camera ready. All I right. agree. <laughs> very uh, good. Okay, well, Bob, thank you very much for that report. Uh, we'll um, we'll let you know on the air if we have uh, received uh, any other information on that particular uh, sighting. All right, take it easy. Okay. Bye-bye. Now, I understand that we have uh, Alta from Alabama calling in, and uh, Alta and I spoke on the phone yesterday and uh, sort of uh, had very interesting conversation. She's a very articulate young lady and uh, some very interesting things to report and just wrote a book about them as well. So, Alta, are you with us? Hi there, we are. Thank you. I'm here with Chad. Oh, very good. Chad, uh, your husband, uh, that's right, and you're both from Alabama. And uh, so what's, uh, I'll let you start the conversation. Of course, as, as I mentioned last night, we have Mark D'Antonio from uh, MUFON uh, with us. So perhaps you could start with some um, you know, UFO experiences you might have had. Okay, wonderful. Well, uh, again, thank you for having us. Sure. Um, just to kind of frame this, uh, there's no doubt to me, and of course there's a great deal more to the story, that I had a strange uh, beginnings with Chad in 1990. Uh, that's when he and I first met. Um, if I may, I'll go ahead and just 
put that out there, and then I'll fast forward us to 1995. Uh, Chad and I married in 1991. We're married four years. 1995, Chad and I moved to Louisiana. At that time, we were living on the uh, just outside of a small community called Hammond, Louisiana, mm-hmm. which happens to also be a small university town. Um, this was our first that I'm aware of uh, UFO encounter, and I'll have Chad describe to you with better description of what happened to us, what he actually saw, because. When I saw it, it was so quick and so brief as far as me looking at it because I felt that uh, the metaphor I use is that my brain exploded and I refused to look at it. So I'll have Chad describe to you what we saw, what I essentially saw but didn't see and he did. Okay. Go ahead, Chad. Welcome to the show. Yeah, well, we, we, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for um, We were driving into town... Um, uh, for dinner the evening, and um, we it was still kind of light out. Uh, we we came across uh, around this group of trees, and back behind this group of trees is the uh, uh, Walmart shopping center. We get around and we look up, and we see this craft, and this craft was massive. It was just huge. It was I would say bigger than the the. Walmart, uh, super-sized Walmart, uh, the shopping center and, and parking lot combined. It was fairly low to the ground, I would say, below cloud level. Uh, it was black. It was silent. It was kind of a rectangle shape, uh, but it was um, not as wide in the front as it was in the back moving very slowly. Uh, There were probably about three lights on the front of it and three lights on the back up underneath it. Uh, Very white, round lights. Um, I kind of looked up at it. Alpha looked up at it. She looked at me. We kind of both looked at each other, both focused back onto the road as as if to say, okay, if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't see it, it won't see us. You know, kind of thing. Went on uh, dinner that Yeah, I never really spoke about it. Uh, there was a write-up in the newspaper the next day. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was our one of my first uh, experiences. Well, what say you, Mark? Well, I had a, a question for for both of you. Um, Chad, you, you said that, um, you know, the two of you were together and... You were both looking at it, looking at each other, looking at the object, going back and forth, looking at each other and looking at the object in the sky, right? Well, I mean, no, we looked at it, we looked at each other, and then we focused back. We never looked back to see, you know, when we passed by it, when we got on down the road, we didn't turn around to look to see if it was still there. We we never acknowledged it ever again. We went on. Okay. Uh, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm just trying to get the, the chronology straight because she said that she never actually saw it. If I may, sir, if I may, yeah, yeah. what happened was we come around this bend, all of a sudden this thing is in the sky above us that shouldn't be there. I saw something that scared me 
so intensely, so to the core of my being, that I turned my head immediately away from the view of it, looking directly at Chad, begging for Chad, not verbally, but mentally for Chad to say to me, I didn't just see something there. So I never looked again. I continued to look at Chad. He looked longer than I did, and then his eyes went right back to the road. We never spoke of it again. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm curious why you wouldn't have immediately wanted to talk about it. It, it, it. That would pretty much get me talking to anybody and everybody I could find. <laughs> it sounds like an extraordinary experience. Yes, sir. And I can guarantee you we wouldn't be speaking about it now if not for the fact that much more has happened to us since. But in essence about this experience, because it's very difficult to come forward and say these things with no logic, but the fact is, is this is how it happened to us, and the fact that because we refused to speak about it made no sense to me. It makes no sense to me now that others apparently did see it as well because they called it in and they did a report on it. What was the exact date of that? I'm sorry? I said, what was the exact date of that? Do you remember, Alta? No, I'm sorry. It was, the, it was in 1995. And I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly the date. The reason I ask is because uh, we, we could check for reports from that. Yeah, that exactly. Time. Yeah. Okay. Right, absolutely. I'll, I'll yeah. explore that deeper and try to provide that. Okay. All right, yeah, so uh, what else? Know the date in that. Yeah, that would be good. So uh, what has happened since then? So now I'll fast forward us again from that encounter to 1997. Chad and I moved uh, at the end of 1995 to the French Quarter of New Orleans. That's roughly, I think, about an hour and a half away from the Hammond area. Uh, we moved there. We built a life for ourselves. Everything seemed to be kind of humming along just fine with the exception of the term that I've borrowed, and I use it for all these experiences, is high strangeness. Mm. We had, it seemed as if high strangeness was amping up, meaning, um, just again for the purpose of this conversation and the quickness of trying to get us there, ghosty experiences. I've tried to put a little humor with the language because it's been so frightening and so strange. But uh, uh, time slips. Uh, as I say, ghost apparition. Uh, uh, voodoo uh, encounters uh, involving, you know, the, the world of voodoo that Chad and I knew nothing about. Uh, just one strangeness after another that, uh, again, living in the French Quarter almost seems normal um, now. <laughs> yeah. In in, right. In 1997, uh, one night, while living and working in the French Quarter, Chad and I and another woman who was my was our friend, but also my coworker, um, decided for the first time to have an evening out with each other, go have dinner and drinks in the French Quarter. Um, the moment that we left the shop where the three of us met uh, and stepped onto the streets of the French Quarter outside of that shop, the only way, again, I know how to describe this is it's very Twilight Zone feeling. It felt like the energy around us was different. 
Um, also, the French Quarter is a 24-7, um, uh, non-stop, constant array of activity. On this night, it seemed as if if there were a few stragglers about, I'm pushing it. It was like, where is everybody? Where is everybody? And again, we lived in the quarter. We know the rhythm. You know, you know the rhythm of where you live, the vibration, the energy. So each location that we stopped at, there were four of them in the time that we spent consciously. Each location, there wasn't anybody in any of these clubs or restaurants except maybe a manager. There was no wait staff. There were no uh, customers. There was, I mean, we're talking about we stopped at a location pretty much across the French Quarter, four locations, and by 11 o'clock, we started our night at 9.30 p.m. By 11 o'clock, and I emphasize with no drugs, nor anybody around to drug us or alcohol in our systems, that was the last thing the three of us consciously remember was standing on a street corner saying, I told Chad privately without my friend hearing me, I'm so bored I just want to go home. I was so bored I just wanted to catch a cab. I didn't even want to walk a few blocks to our townhouse. In the moment that I made that statement to Chad, it was around 11-ish. That's what all three of us clearly remember was around 11-ish p.m. And then the next thing I know, it's the next day and I'm sitting straight up in my living room, cross-legged Indian style like I do when I'm in privacy. And I'm looking around, rubbing my arms, terrified, having no idea what in the world, and where's Chad, and where's Jacqueline. Um, I, appear to, I appear to be the only one out of the three of that one event that seems to have memory of what I call the in-between of the experience. Hmm. But I have no memory of coming off that corner, and I have no memory of being returned home. I will also offer, if you care, this time, Chad's had regression, and so he has an account that, uh, you know, is very different than my memory, I'll add that, of what happened to him and what he feels is Jacqueline that night. That's interesting. Can I... Uh... Can I ask a question? Or actually, I'll make a comment, if I might. Yeah, by all means. Um, what, you're, what you're noticing is something that, uh, when you said you went to these restaurants, and, of course, it's a place that never sleeps, so you would expect that there would be customers and wait staff and people, but you found it strangely deserted, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Now, what that could have been is something called a screen memory. It's a memory that's provided to you because the real memory is too terrifying. Now, I'm not saying that you had a real experience with extraterrestrials or that you just didn't happen to encounter a whole empty restaurant. I'm not trying to say one way or the other. But factually, I'm just delivering that information, saying that that memory of the restaurants could actually have been the false memory and that something else was really going on that you yet have yet to discover uh, and the regression of Chad might be very interesting to hear. Yes, sir. Thank you. We understand everything that you've just said, and, and I'm open to all. And if you care, Chad will share with you that regression now. Oh, yeah, so he did have it. Sure. Okay. Yeah, sounds like an interesting thing here, Paul. Yeah, go ahead, Chad. 
yeah, um, what I remember, kind of just the last thing I remember is being right there on that uh, creek corner, the, the stoop. Uh, the next thing I, I remember in, from my regression is seeing this bright light coming from around the corner. Um, we, um, I got the girl's attention. We went around the corner, and there was this orb, I would say, probably 12 foot in diameter. It was probably about 15 foot off the ground. And it was probably about mid-block. So, you know, it was quite a distance away. And all of a sudden, it just kind of came towards, it's kind of enveloped, comes at us and just engulfs them, envelopes us. Yeah. And um, my next memory is I'm walking down this corridor. It's... um, very metallic, uh, very um, uh, clean walls, no rivets, no bolts. Uh, there was a being right in front of me. Um, I was kind of following this being. He was probably about three foot uh, tall. He was um, gray. Um, he had a palish gray skin tone. I always saw him from behind. And... When I, when I say he was small, he wasn't like the grays that you see on TV and stuff now. He was more um, dwarfish. You know, he had substance, and he kind of waddled when he walked. I could feel um, I, uh, energy beside me. Preferably, uh, I could see a tall, blonde female. This does kind of describe our friend Jacqueline. My next memory is I'm in this room, and it just seems infinite. Uh, off at a distance, and you know, it's dark, very dark. You know, I can't see anything. Yeah, I could see my immediate, and then off at a distance, uh, a few yards away, I could see a tall blonde female laying on an examining table. There were three beings around her, one on each side and one on her head. She was nude, but she was sensitive from head to toe. So I couldn't tell who it was. I didn't see body parts. I didn't see anything like that. I focused my attention back to my immediate. Um, the beings that were around her were, I would say, eight foot tall, eight, nine foot tall, very, I'd say, praying manatee. Uh, they had these very black cloaks. You know, from neck down, almost like a Jesuit priest or something where. Um, so I focused my attention back to my immediate. Um, I look over to the right, and there's this little blue bean. And he's just this very vibrant blue, just glowing blue. His demeanor, his aura... Uh, he felt like a uh, kind of a shamanistic teacher, uh, professor-type being, uh, high intelligence, uh, scientific, all in the same. Um, he goes over, he gets this box, he puts the box, he's got the box in his right hand. He takes his left hand, puts it into the box into the side of the box, and brings his 
out, and there's this blue blobbish kind of uh, stuff kind of floating around. Are you still there? No, we're just listening with rapt attention, Chuck. Yeah, we're listening. Okay, I just got on. And, uh, there was, I guess, another call was coming in. I wanted to make sure I wasn't. So, anyway, there's this blue blobbing stuff kind of undulating above his hand. He sets the box down, and he takes his, his right hand and puts it up almost like you see depictions of Christ or uh, Buddha. You know, he's only got four digits, so he's got kind of his two four fingers out, um, or uh, he's got his two middle fingers up, and his other two are kind of crossed, you know, down. And this blue blobbish stuff that had it, it kind of moved around, and it's almost like that material, like almost uh, silly putty or that slimy stuff that the kids play with, but it was, you know, very contained. Uh, it was blue, just the same color as him. That had all these, he had this little metal plates or glittery looking things in it. Well, when he takes his, his right hand and puts it up, this material starts spinning. And the faster it spun, the blueness and the uh, sparkly stuff kind of dissipated out of it and was rotating around it. It, um, started slowing down, and it turned into this double-pointed pyramid crystal. I would say probably two, three inches long, uh, probably an inch diameter at the widest. Uh, you know, it's double-pointed, very uh, pyramid-shaped. You know, I remember thinking to him, you know, why are you showing this to me? You know, why... I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, you know, it's very important. Uh, he got, telepathically, he tells me uh, that I will know in time, or when it's time. Okay, well, Mark, I'm going to interrupt you because we have to take our break, uh, but uh, I'll let uh, Mark chew on that for a minute or so as we take our break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley and around the world on onworldwide.com. We'll be right back. The Extra Point, afternoons on ON 1240 Radio, bringing you local interviews, stories, and opinions on the local athletes with none other than radio great Lou Mandeville. Yes, that's me. Afternoons, Monday through Friday on ON 1240. Okay, I, mean, I want to remind you of several of the charities Ben and I have adopted on the show here. One, of course, is, is uh, usacares.org. You want to check that out. They do wonderful things financially for veterans who are in need and for their families as well. Uh, also, Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our friends to the north, uh, many of uh, whom have been wounded in Afghanistan and fighting alongside us. Also, Youth Mentoring Connection, or YMC, in Los Angeles, California, doing amazing things for at-risk youth using ancient wisdom. And perhaps you've heard uh, our friend Tony Loray on the show. Tony's the founder of that, does great things for the youth out there uh, with very feet-on-the-ground approach to uh, indigenous wisdom. So that's youthmentoring.org. Check that out as well. And our website, behindtheparanormal.com, has all the charities we've adopted. Most of them are veterans' charities, but uh, there are also uh, others too. So check those out and please support them. 
So let's get back to our conversation here. Uh, Mark, do you, uh, and of course, Mark D'Antonio filling in for Ben, who actually is here after all, so we are blessed with three co-hosts this evening. Hello, Hello. Ben. <laughs> yeah, so Joe, you can jump in on these conversations, certainly, too. It's your show. So. I'm, I'm hey, he's, he's hiding back there, yeah. Yeah, he's been hiding back, yeah. And we didn't think he'd be here this evening. But I didn't think I'd be here either. And, yeah, but but, here so are. as I say, we have three co-hosts. So anyway, uh, Ben or Mark, uh, do either of you have anything, to what, any reaction to what you've heard so far from, from Chad? Oh, the story's not done yet. No, that's true. So Chad, perhaps well, you could finish up if you could uh, as quickly as you could. That would be great. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Sure. Um, my next memory, I'm in this room, another room, it only had three walls, two very straight and one kind of concave. Uh, it had this big overstuffed leather chair. It looked out of place. I thought to myself, it looks comfortable, but it's not. I um, focused my attention back to the wall that's kind of concave. And what these wa- I thought these walls were all solid, metallic. You know, of course, there's no rivet, no bolt or anything like that, very smooth. But what I thought was solid, I look at this wall that's concave, and I can see through it. And there's stars and planets, and it's like galaxies out there. You know, I'm somewhere out there. I, I, I'm sitting there. I'm kind of in all, all of a sudden, this little craft. I would say probably three foot long, two foot wide, kind of football shape, passes by very fast. It gets about eight, nine foot past me. It stops and kind of almost does a double take. It comes back, and it's sitting right outside this wall window, whatever it is, that I can see through, and it's just kind of hovering there, and it's got little... Antennas, little metal things moving around on it, little lights blinking and stuff like that. I could feel intelligence out of it. Uh, and it sits there for about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and shoots off. And the next thing I know is I wake up in bed the next morning. Okay. All right, Mark, a reaction? Wow. Well, I'm, as you said before, Where's your camera? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, um, my, my job with MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, is I'm their chief photo and video analyst. So naturally, whenever I hear of these stories, I always wish there was some type of hard evidence that could actually uh, corroborate the, the anecdotal evidence. And so in this particular case, you know, Chad, you've got a huge experience here that you're relaying to us. And I have to wonder... Did anyone in your party who may also have been, you know, abducted, uh, possibly uh, have any marks on their bodies or anything that could, you know, have uh, provided some kind of trace evidence that something occurred? So if I may, I'll jump in now. As I said, I came to, I didn't wake up, I came to the next day with my eyes popping open. And as I also said, I was the only one out of the three that we're aware of um, with memory of what I call the in-between experience. Mm. And in my encounter, there's quite a bit bit to that, but I will say this, that when I came to the next morning, I was rubbing my arms, as I mentioned before, and as I'm rubbing my arms, I have an object sticking out of my arm, and it feels like a cactus needle. The thing that's 
if not all, this isn't just too crazy for words. There's no pain. Now, that makes no sense to me. I'm originally from Arizona. I'm very aware of cactus, and there's no pain. But yet, as I run my hand over it, it's sticking my skin and no pain. So as I am going through unbelievable trauma, I get up and go in the bathroom, get a pair of tweezers. I pull this, what I think is a cactus needle, out of my arm. It's tiny now. Keep in mind, this is very tiny, but it's clearly there. It's solid left a teeny hole behind, and when I put it between my fingers, it began to dissolve. When that happened again, my brain felt like it was uh, disengaging. I turned on the faucet. I began scrubbing my hands till I thought they were going to bleed. I wanted that off of me. What, what was left behind, them, sir, is I have x-rays online of what everybody else is calling an implant. I don't use this language. I don't say abduction. I don't use aliens. I don't use the word implant. I have only had to start using it recently for the sake of language, but I have always referred to this as an unknown. It has very strange properties. Not only did I, did I come to with this object in my upper arm that is still there, but when Chad woke up, about an hour following me going through all this by myself in the bathroom with this thing in my arm and me having memory, he was the one who noticed as he walked around me. I was too busy with the trauma in front of me to care about what was going on behind me. And when Chad walked around me, he saw my arms from the back. And I'm sorry, you can't imagine how sorry I am that we did not take photos of this. But I had... I had hand bruises on both my arms, only four digits, very long, wrapped around both my arms as if I had been held from behind. They lasted about a day. They went away, but the object is still here. Okay, so technically you do have some type of potential trace uh, evidence that's actually in your arm right now. Yes, sir. Okay, so that's something that could get analyzed and we could determine whether it's actually uh, of earthly origin or not. If it, well, absolutely. Shall I put... Absolutely. I, I understand that 17 or so have been done so as, as such. I spoke to a gentleman, a scientist, who was involved with these uh, so-called implants with Dr. Lear, and this scientist spoke for an hour on the phone he spoke crazier than anything I've ever conjured up in my mind. I couldn't begin. I mean, some of the things this gentleman was sharing with me of his own personal experiences was... Well, hey, I can understand. Uh, shall I put you two in touch? Yeah, I think we should just, you know, work out a way to actually get a, uh, you know, another medical analysis perhaps. And, and okay. And we can actually get a hold of the actual object. Um uh, and see what it is. Okay, well, why don't we put you two in touch and uh, take right. it from there, and we can report later on the show. Alta, thank you. We kind of have to move on, but thank you so much for your call, and you and Chad as well, and uh, we'll be in touch off the air. That's great. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you all so much. Oh, thank you. Of course. 
Okay, let's move on. And, and let me give you our numbers again. You don't have to talk about UFOs if you wish to call in. This is an open line show because Mark is a renaissance man in the paranormal, so interested in all subjects. Indeed. And the uh, numbers again, locally, 401-766-1240 here in northern Rhode Island, southeastern Massachusetts. And anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. Now, we have, uh, take a few that we received from Facebook here. This is a question that was meant for Nick Pope, the great uh, UFO aficionado and former uh, official of the uh, British Ministry of Defense who was responsible for the UFO desk over there for several years. Uh, we had him on the show with John Burroughs recently uh, in reference to the Rendlesham Forest case and their new, new book about it. And uh, this question arrived a little bit too late. It's from Ronnie Dugdale in Norwich, England. Ben, you want to jump we back We already here? read this. Oh, no, no, but uh, we, we, have, we have the answer. Oh, we have an answer? We answer from Nick Pope, uh... yeah. So, uh, all right, well, why don't I just read it? Uh, this is, uh, I have a question for, for Nick Pope. Nick has stated on several in interviews and articles that, quote, Rendezvous in Rendlesham was the only book ever to require clearance from both the U.S. and U.K. governments. I was curious why this should be, particularly as when uh, Jim Penniston and Colonel Halt, two of the witnesses to this 1980 case, had their final debriefing on, on leaving the U.S. Air Force. They both asked if they could talk about the UFO incident at Bentwaters Christmas 1980. They were both told that nothing happened at Bentwaters on the dates in question. Nothing happened, so they were free to talk about it. So why would clearance for a book be needed now? Please ask Nick, who was the person in departments for, for both the U.K. and U.S. governments that required the book to be cleared with them prior to publication? The Ministry of Defense repeatedly claims that also that nothing of defense significance ever happened at Bentwaters, and claimed that so uh, claimed so even when questions were raised in Parliament on the Rendlesham Forest case, and again from Ronnie uh, Dugdale in the UK. Now here is Nick Pope's answer: The manuscript for Encounter in Rendlesham Forest needed to be pre-submitted for official clearance to both the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.K. Ministry of Defense because the authors drew widely upon their respective government and military experience in writing the book. This covered not just the Rendlesham Forest incident itself, but matters relating to military equipment, doctrine, tactics, standard operating procedures, politically sensitive material, etc. It's sometimes difficult to recall with certainty what's classified and what isn't. So when people who have been involved in sensitive government or military work write something that touches on these cases, it's prudent to check the position with the relevant authorities. While, Rendlesham, while Encounter in Rendlesham Forest is an insider's account of the UFO incidents, we're not while whistleblowers, and none of us wants to break the Official Secrets Act or violate our respective security oaths. Uh, so as, as I recollect from my... Uh, Ministry of Defense Service. One is not supposed to discuss the specifics of the publication's clearance process in relation to another any particular book, so it would be inappropriate for me to name the specific departments or individuals involved. So while explaining the situation, uh, Nick kind of says he can't really say any more about it. Okay, just if my two cents on that, having been in a similar position in the military in a way, um, I understand you are not supposed, you know, once, once classified, always classified. But then I understand Ronnie's position as well. So what's, what say you, Mark? Well, again, people that know me know that I also do a lot of work for the Navy. I've been in those situations before. Uh, and so what Nick responded with was effectively what would be, and Nick's a good friend. He's a great guy. And, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, for us too. And, yeah. and he was responding with a very appropriate uh, uh, statement that's uh, kind of like boilerplate across a lot of different armed services, and that is that, Anytime anyone with any experience with, you know, current or in the past, uh, with any type of 
gear or programs that were at once still classified and perhaps not any longer. Even so, when you produce any kind of publication, it has to get vetted by uh, other authorities to make sure that nothing accidentally slips in. And that's kind of, I think, where Nick is going with that. No, that's absolutely right. No, I agree 100%. I mean, I understand what Nick is saying. People who have not been in that position, uh, I can understand why they would have a difficult time understanding that that policy yeah. is a, but uh, but I, I have to um, sort of second the the the, uh, the motion on that one. Okay, so so just uh, we got that answer. So let's move on. Here's one from Mark Lima in East Hartford, Connecticut, my hometown. Wow. Coincidence. Yeah, I don't Birdie. know. So uh, it's right down the road from me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're, we're all uh, it's a Connecticut night here, and uh, <laughs> yeah. it's Connecticut night here. here in Northern Rhode Island. Yeah. Indeed. Already. So Mark writes to us. I've listened to your shows uh, for years, and I'm very interested in your different ideas about the paranormal. How do you explain things like uh, fish falling out of the sky and uh, and rocks and rocks? I remember you saying that uh, that happened to uh, one of your own ancestors. Were there any UFO sightings when things like this happened? Well, you know, I can answer this. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, just our ancestor he's referring to. Uh, we've mentioned on several shows Nicholas Disborough from Hartford, who was. Involved mm-hmm. in a poltergeist case in, seven, in 1683 where things were falling on his house. He ended up being uh, executed for witchcraft, which is really... Ne- and, and people don't realize that there were, there were more ex- executions for witchcraft in the Hartford area uh, earlier than there, than there were ever any in the, the Salem witchcraft trials, most of which happened in Danvers in the first place. So there you go. So anyway, that, ha- that historical note out of the way, Mark... Uh, Interesting. Yeah, well, what, do you, what do you have to say about the, these Fortean phenomena as they are known? Yeah... We've, you know, we've seen these before, we've heard these cases before, and I say we, meaning a lot of us that are researchers and, and scientists in the arena, and, and here is actually a case where it's very likely, although not you know provable after the fact like this, but it's, it's uh, pretty likely that this was a natural occurrence. Now you might say, oh, okay, trout falling from the sky, that's <laughs> normal. <laughs> well, not exactly, but it is when a tornado passes over a body of water and sucks up a huge volume of water and fish, frogs, and other creatures. So uh, it can throw them for miles. In fact, I was standing on a mountaintop in Avon, Connecticut, when a tornado 22 miles away had touched down in uh, the town of Bristol, Connecticut. And from the mountaintop, it was funny. It was a bright blue sky. However, in Bristol, you could see that it was cloudy over there and dark, but you couldn't really see between here and there. Bottom line, a few minutes later, I'm getting hit in the head by pebbles, and I started accusing the <laughs> students I was teaching. I did. I started accusing the students that I was teaching of throwing rocks at me. And a popular saying, teacher. Right? We're being hit, too. Okay? Yeah. And sure enough, I looked up, and out of the sky, you could start to visualize. You saw leaves and branches, whole branches of trees falling out of a bright blue sky, rocks bouncing down. We had to cover telescopes we were ahead out because we were doing observations of the sun because it was so clear. We had to cover the telescope so they wouldn't get hit by rocks, and it was the oddest thing. And when I got home that night, I discovered it was a tornado in Bristol. Certainly, the tornado sucked up branches, trees, leaves, rocks, you know, and so forth, and flung them for miles as the air disturbance just continued to push these along, and then they got deposited. And many times, that's what happened. Out of a clear blue sky, that happened. Uh, right here in Avon, Connecticut. Yeah. Branches, rocks, and pebbles right on our head. There you go. Slightly west of East Hartford, but not much. 
Well, there right. you go. There you have it, Mark. Uh, Mark Lima. There. An explanation. Yeah, uh, that's and true. But, uh, but of course, there have been instances of this sort of thing happening without any tornadoes being recorded as well. So, what do you do with that? Well, in that case, you know, you wonder. Like in Avon, we would never have known there was a tornado because we couldn't see it from up there. Mm-hmm. Um, from the mountain we were on, we had blue sky all around us, and it was the clouds were darker over toward Bristol, like maybe it was raining. But if we didn't have a weather service uh, to go see, we would have no idea that it was from a tornado. We would have thought it was some type of Fortean event. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one never knows. Okay, well, anyway, I hope that answers your question, uh, my friend. I'm sure it won't. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no. This Well, again, uh, th- these th- some of these questions have no answers yet. That's so, true, and I'm not, that, that's what he thought. Was, what he had happen was a tornado. It could have been some other type of event, for all we know, you know? Perhaps. I'm just saying what evidence. Sure. Uh, well, here's another one from Lou in Stockton, California. Okie doke. So Lou writes to us, After years of thinking myself just a bit crazy, I discovered your show. Uh, well, must yeah, then he realized it's <laughs> completely crazy. Right. <laughs> So I discovered your show while driving home from work one day, and you were talking... not sure that was a compliment. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you, you were talking about people who feel they uh, just don't belong here, or, uh, or even as part of the species. I have felt that way since childhood. So are you saying that I might uh, be more drawn to some parallel life uh, that is feeling normal? Hmm. Okay, well, we do get this quite often, that people somehow feel out of place or they don't even feel like they should be humans or they feel related to more, uh, you know, and, and some people might say, well, this is schizophrenia. Maybe it is, but I don't know. Uh, Mark, you have some um, uh, insights into the multiverse idea. What, uh, what's your opinion of this, uh, this question? <laughs> no, that's funny because I was thinking exactly that because I have often uh, felt uh, like an observer more than a participant uh, growing yeah, up. Yeah, and, me too. Right? And it wouldn't matter how many friends you had. You could be the life of the party. You could have tons of friends, but darn it all. You get home at night and you say, you know what? I felt like a, a, an observer. Mm-hmm. There's something weird. So there, there, is a, there is a psychological phenomenon with the human brain that, that, that has yet to be deciphered that has to do with that. But it may be because the human brain is linked to an alternate, another reality in a multiverse, a parallel universe. And so we could actually be confused at an extremely deep core level about which one we belong in. Mm-hmm. Or or um, perhaps we were in one universe at one time, and then in the next cycle of life, if you're into that type of belief, that's a possibility as well. Now you're in this universe, but still pining for the previous universe. <laughs> so well, it's anything possible. is possible. Yeah, that's correct. And it's... And you know, I have to say that I would never have expected to hear myself talking like this five years ago, uh, or probably even three years ago. But you know, over time, I've come to experience some very interesting things that make me realize, as, as others, that multiverse and parallel universe concepts are actually not that far-fetched. Not so much science fiction anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the issues that, and of course, uh, Lou brings this up. A uh, little bit crazy. Uh, sometimes uh, these experiences will uh, are often lumped, especially the feeling of detachment, uh, not in the spiritual sense, but in the psychological sense, and they're often attributed to um, psychiatric difficulties. 
because they really don't know how else to uh, classify them, I suppose. And the feeling of detachment is often attached, is often attached, so to speak, to uh, the, the to chronic depression, and uh, that sort of thing uh, is, is sometimes um, sometimes known. So uh, go ahead. Well, that, that's you know what that and that is a very uh, that's a fundamental medical science diagnosis that you may hear in cases like this. I'm certainly no expert on it, for sure. Uh, I don't think of myself as someone who has any type of depression, yet there I be, still feeling like a participant, or an observer, rather than a participant a lot of the time. And I'm uh, as happy with my life, I think, as anyone can be. Oh, you're you know, one of the most I, I, cheerful and buoyant people we know. Well, and we also know that sometimes those types of people are hiding something dark inside. I don't Uh-oh. think I'm one of them. Okay, okay, well, we'll, we'll um, keep an eye on you next time. Yeah, all right. Yeah, keep, yeah, okay. keep an eye on me, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> ben, any no, thoughts, but, thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, I'd probably go more the depression kick myself, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, if we're, if we're feeling as if we belong somewhere else, then maybe we do. But even then, if that's if that's the case, then and if you follow the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum physics, then shouldn't you feel like you belong everywhere? That's a good question. One of the things I noticed as a, as a student uh, working in psychiatric hospitals in the days of yore was that th- the factors involved in a person's condition can be rather complex, to say the least. There may be psychological factors, uh, s- even various psychoses intermixed with paranormal factors. Yeah. As we and that's one of the reasons I was there working with this this uh this priest uh, because there were things that doctors couldn't explain uh, often enough. So um we really don't know and again it goes back to the motto of our show everything we know is wrong and so we're starting from <laughs> tabula rasa as dear old Aristotle would say the empty slate. Okay, well here's uh, I guess we have time for one more anyway. This is from Lynn in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Right now, okay. uh, Lynn writes to us, I can't wait for your show with the great Tim Beckley on August 18th. My life is full of strange coincidences and things that seem controlled by someone or something else. I know you will be talking about this with Tim, but I thought I had to ask you on an open line show about what your, thoughts, what your own thoughts are first. Okay. Yeah, that is an interesting, interesting thing, and... and I don't know. I don't know, Mark. I think it was you. We we sort of had a brief conversation about this, but one often does get the feeling. Perhaps it's related to the various psychoses we refer to, but the feeling that there is uh, so, something or someone else kind of pulling strings, you know, at times, and that there's some kind of vast pattern. Because I know that my life is full of, full of bizarre coincidences, and in a way, I don't really believe in coincidences. I think uh, yours is too, from what we've from our conversations. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on on you know? Yeah. Is it us? Is it ourselves? Our own subconscious yeah. or what? Groups? Well, you know, Paul. There, there's a variety of, of of trains of thought on this. One of them is that some people say, well, we're creating these events because we are actually tapping into um, a a massive powerhouse within our own brains and causing certain events to occur. So there are people that have said to me, I was thinking about my friend and he called 10 seconds later. It's the first time I thought of him in five years. And then he called. Now, on one hand, you can say that person sent out a signal saying I'm calling you and you got it. On the other hand, you can say you sent out a signal saying I want him to call me and he got it and called you. Either way, 
if either of those things are true, even if 1% of that energy is real, it means that we have an ability far beyond what we're utilizing now. And, you know, everyone says, well, we're only using a small percentage of our brain. Well, yeah, well, our brain's in play. You know, there's a lot of our brain in play, but there's there's a lot of our brain that isn't, uh, well, say, focused at the conscious level. And so that's a whole other show with a... You know, people that can talk about it far better than me. You know, a doctor, well, a neurosurgeon, you know. And Tim Beckley, <laughs> August 18th. Yeah. Anyway, okay, we better move on to our announcements, but uh, great show, I think. Anyway, the Exeter UFO, I should say Exeter Kiwanis UFO Festival is coming up in Exeter, New Hampshire on Saturday, August 30th. Ben and I will present a program on strange connections, UFOs, cryptids, and ghosts. Other speakers will include the great Stanton Friedman and Robert Schroeder, both of whom are frequent guests on the show. We'll offer more information as it develops. Uh, now, Mark, you're not going to be at that particular conference, are you? Exeter? No, I don't think I'm going to be at the Exeter UFO conference, no. Okay, well, we're moving on to the one you will be at. Then on Saturday, September 20th, will be the True Paranormal Event 2014, a celebration of advanced understanding in the paranormal. Times are 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Brookline Event Center in Brookline, New Hampshire. Ben and I will present the program, as will our good friend Shane Searway of TrueGhost.com, who is organizing the event. Also speaking will be Bill Hall, author of the new book, The World's Most Haunted House, about that, that wonderful Bridgeport, Connecticut poltergeist case of 1974, where I was involved with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't you going to also be raffling off some uh, tickets on the air for a couple of events coming up? Uh, we will, yes. Uh, we're going to be yeah. um, doing that for the Lemonster event. And, and the uh, Experiencer Speak Conference. Experience that's speak. right. Yep. Uh, so that's taking place at the Clearing Hotel and Conference Center in Portland, Maine. That's September 6th and 7th. And it's going to be a phenomenal conference. And it's going to be about abductees, experiencers, and contactees. And we actually had people on the show today who could actually... Uh, that's right. You know, uh, We'll have right. to rig, no, rig, rig the thing so they can win the tickets, right? Yeah, yeah, right. right good. No, they will not. No rigging. No, and, absolutely and, not. Uh, only a joke. Shouldn't get any rumors started. Of uh, course. The uh, other event anyone, is... I'm, uh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. No, sorry, sir. But I, I just want to make sure everybody knows that on August 25th, you're going to be drawing for tickets for that, that conference. That's, that's right. Uh, that's how it's Yeah, good. now yep. if people want to find out about that, they can go to experiencerspeak.yolasite.com. Yolasite is Y-O-L-A-S-I-T-E. So experiencerspeak.yolasite.com. Very good. The other event is the second New England UFO Conference on October 17th and 18th at the City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Ben and I, along with many prominent UFO experts you've heard on this show, including Mark, uh, will be speakers. On September 29th, we'll rifle off two family packs of tickets uh, on the show as we did last year, and the site is uh, neufoconference.vpweb.com. There are links to all these sites at uh, behindtheparanormal.com. Yes, there is, and October 17th is my birthday, so there. Well, there you go. Perfect. Now, to enter these contests, make sure you send an email to Paul and Ben at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or drop them a snail mail at Behind the Paranormal, care of W-O-O-N, 1240 AM, 985 Park Avenue, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, 02895. Make sure you include your name, address, and phone number, and there are links, as Paul said, at BehindTheParanormal.com. Also, make sure you visit the show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find <laughs> over 550 free podcasts past shows from both ON1240 and their four-and-a-half-year run on CBS radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Now, check the main site at NewEnglandCoast.com, where there's case studies and photos, along with copious articles by the famous Paul Eno. <laughs> All right. 
And you can find my books on Barnes & Noble, Nookie Reader, Amazon, Kindle, etc., etc. If you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our sites, you'll find direct links to the charities we mentioned as well. Wonderful. Now, uh, next Monday, August 11th, here on WON 1240 and ONWorldwide.com, all in Ben, hiding behind the, the desk over there, <laughs> will welcome Art Campbell for a discussion of what he believes was a UFO crash on New Mexico's San Augustine Plain. Now, again, send your questions to Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. All right, and we leave you this evening with a thought from Scottish author and broadcaster William Barclay. There are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Mark Antonio sitting in for Ben. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. See you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of 